Good morning, good morning, and good morning to you. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall, and we are in a fighting mood because there's plenty to fight about. We know that the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg would not allow us, would not allow us to sit and think that there was nothing we can do in this dire situation. And yes, the situation is dire. Many things are happening in the midst of a pandemic, but as I've stated before, a hundred years ago, we went through the Spanish flu, the global pandemic that took so many more lives by this time than has been taken by the coronavirus. And I'm not saying that in any way that to diminish the lives lost now or the lives lost then, but I'm saying it as a way to show our commonality in history. And that is why history can be what we use to learn, to gain our strength, to plan, to strategize, and in some instances to become empowered. The Spanish flu was from 1918 to 1920. During that time period, we held elections, yes, local as well as a presidential election during that time. And during that time as well, people wore masks. If you go back and look at the photographs, and I have, they were wearing masks. And because so many of us don't even know the Spanish flu happened, we didn't look it up until now, then that meant life went back to normal or some sense of normalcy. Fairly and unfairly, you have to also say, in 1919, we had the summer that was so filled with race riots and protests, attacks by White, angry white people, angry over a failed economy, attacking black people who had progressed economically, politically, and socially. And because of that, they felt enraged. And 1919 was the year before the 19th Amendment was passed, giving women the right to vote, thus giving black women the right to vote. And there was anger about the already powerful black male vote that was witnessed in the 1800s, because this is also the 150th anniversary of black men gaining the right to vote with the 15th Amendment in 1870. And during that time, there were black U.S. senators Black U.S. Congress people, blacks in state government, black people, men, because only men could vote at that time. Only white men and black men, for the most part, could vote during that time period. And women, the suffragettes, black suffragettes and white suffragettes were fighting for the right to vote. But this is the 150th anniversary of that passage of the 15th Amendment, granting black men the right to vote. And from that time period, it was understood that the black vote could change the outcome of an election. Thus, we started voter suppression as early as the next election after they gained the right to vote in 1870. Voter suppression has been around that long. And voter suppression at that time was everything from the grandfather clause. So if your grandfather didn't vote or you didn't have somebody in your family who could vote before 1866, but we know slavery ended with the 13th Amendment in 1865. So that meant that the majority of people of African descent were not able to vote. Um, we also had in 1890 under the Mississippi plan, uh, the literacy test, the poll tax, which meant the poll tax, if you didn't pay a tax, you couldn't register to vote. 
um, the literacy test. One had to take a test before they could even register to vote. Now we have what's considered the modern day poll tax, the 21st century poll tax. And that is in Florida, which is the most evident example. If uh, someone who's incarcerated and they owe a fine, that was also part of their uh, punishment. If they don't pay the fine, they're not allowed to register to vote. So say this, if you have a parking ticket, and we know about parking tickets, right? If we have a parking ticket or a speeding ticket and you don't pay that ticket, then you're not allowed to vote. This is what we're talking about with a poll tax. This is what a poll tax would be. And so those people who owe fines in Florida are not allowed to vote. Now, we're talking about people who have just served time. They've completed their sentences, and many of those sentences were uh, on trumped-up charges, but we won't go there. So now they have no job, no real job prospects because of the prejudice against people with criminal convictions, and they have to pay a fine that they owe, even if it's $500. Some of us don't have $500 right now. But if you have been incarcerated and have no job and have no income, how is one to pay this fine? So therefore, even though they've regained their right to vote, they can't use it. And this is called a civil death, a civil death, because they are alive, but they are dead politically. This is what's going on in this country that is no longer any shining light on the heel of democracy. It's no longer. It's, it was be pure hypocrisy. And all the cult followers of Donald Trump, you can be outraged if you want to. Uh, it's, this is ridiculous as far as any type of sense that this is a democracy. This is a nation run by a bully. And, you know, on the playground, there were those people who were bullied. There were those people who were watching the fights and the pushing and the shoving of the younger ones. And there were those people who wanted to be friends of the bully because they thought it's better to be friends of the bully than in the bully's way. So you have a lot of friends of the bully right now, and you have a lot of people who are sitting back and watching, afraid to do anything. And we cannot afford this at this time. So if one wants to be a friend of the bully, that is their decision. But know that history will call you out if your friends and family don't already do so. There are a number of other issues before the court at this time, um, we know that Justice Ginsburg's seat is trying uh, is open and the, and the uh, conservative majority in the Senate, they're trying to fill it. And I just want to give you a quick rundown on the process. Because the U.S. Senate is the counterbalance to the executive branch, the executive branch or the president can nominate someone to the U.S. Supreme Court. But under Article One, they must have the advice and consent of the Senate. And so if you go to your Constitution, and I always say go to your Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, Subsection 2, it is by and with the advice and consent of the Senate and that a person is appointed. So the advice and consent of the Senate means a Senate hearing. We know that uh, during the time of Barack Obama in 2016, when he attempted to fill the seat of the late uh, Antonin Scalia with the Second Cir Circuit Court of Appeals Judge, no, I'm sorry, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Merrick Garland, that he was rebuffed. President Obama was rebuffed. And the Senate said, no, we're not even going to give our advice and consent. We're not going to even look at this candidate. We're not even going to give them a vote at all because it's an election year. And of course, his hypocrisy runs so bloody deep in this 
a particular time frame when we have a president who lies constantly and I don't even know if he knows the truth anymore and we have friends of the bully who support that and that being um, many people in the Senate who know because they've said that they believe Donald Trump is mentally unstable and but they're getting what they want and so they don't care how so the means for them justify the end and if the end is the end of our democracy they don't care as long as these people get what they want. And so here we now have um, what was during that time, and I was I opposed it, like that mattered to President Obama or anybody else, but I opposed having a pure majority in the, in the Senate be enough to give co- advice and consent for a nominee to the bench, because now we've had over uh, 200 uh, Donald Trump judges Many of them incompetent because the American Bar Association has said they're they're not even qualified. We have one federal court judge who's never even practiced law before, who was now presiding over lawyers in federal cases for life. These federal court judges are sitting for life. And so um, once we have uh, the bare majority, that's 51 senators are needed to vote for the Senate uh, for the nominee. So once we have this bare majority of 51 votes, this person will ascend to the U.S. Supreme Court. There are 53 conservative Republican senators right now. We don't know if there will be any who decide not to be friends of the bully, decide to stop this process, stop the madness. But at this point, 51 votes are all that are needed. And Mitch McConnell, who is the Senate majority leader, has decided that this is going to take place. And probably this week, there's been a sense, shall we expand the Supreme Court? And this idea that the court is expanded, that they couldn't have people, you know, in addition to the conservative majority we have now, because when there's a 4-4 split, the lower court decision stands. The lower courts, lower federal courts are packed with um, Donald Trump uh, friends. They're vetted in a way in which they have to give their loyalty to the ideology of Donald Trump, um, even though the judges are supposed to be neutral. Having said all that, we are also locally dealing with our schools opening. So we have so many things going on at the same time in the midst of a pandemic And 1919, back during that time period of the Spanish flu, we had the Red Summer. We have protests going on for the killing of of black and brown and other people here in this country by our police officers. All of this is taking place at the same time that our school children are trying to figure out when school will open for them. And I had a chance to go out and actually do some interviewing at one of the the schools, the Seward Park High School, where there were teachers out protesting the opening of the school. Listen to this um, broadcast, if you don't mind, that it's an interview I did with one of the teachers uh, protesting. Just a moment. This is Gloria Brown Marshall, and I'm in front of Seward Park High School. At least that's what it used to be. Now it's divided up into a number of different schools, but all of them have the same issue whether or not it's safe to go back given the pandemic. I'm here with... Joy Trees, George. And your position here is? And I actually am a teacher at New Design High School, which is a part of the Seward Park campus. 
And right now, like our stance is that we're just, we just basically want the bare minimum when it comes to our safety. We want what was promised to us contractually. And I think that until then, the safest thing to do without introducing students into the mix is just to go remote until everything is just figured out. So we just want clarity and the bare minimum, like ventilation and all of the proper PPE for the teachers as well as students. That's, that's all we're asking for, really. We just want safety. And so we hear the music in the background with respect and other songs. There are about 50 teachers here in front of the school. It's a good day, but school was supposed to start next week. And when would you want school to start? Well, school should have started when it, when it was scheduled to, um, maybe about a week ago. And now, as we learned today, it's being postponed even longer. And that just mixes up everything. It sends the wrong message. Um, and, of course, that time may push us even further into the school year than we already, we already are. So it's just it's mayhem, but it's like... The people who really need that, um, who need this time, they're, they're losing out because they're not, we're not, it's like, it's confusing. That's what about all. the students? What about the children? How, what, what, what message would you send to them right now and the parents? I mean, just, just make conscious decisions and make, be safe about everything. Um, and do your research, but more importantly, like, we need to stick together, we need to work together as opposed to being divided in this whole process. Um, and that's that's where I stand with it. Like, power is in numbers, and I believe if we're all like working together as opposed to being divided on this whole cause, because at the end of it, the core of it is we want everybody to be safe and we want to protect everyone. So um, that's it. If you can stay home, please do so until we figure things out. That's it. That's my message. Thank you so much. Uh -huh. And as you know, my listening audience, I believe in protest, and they're protesting for the safety of the children, for the safety of the teachers and staff and everyone here. There have been lives lost. This is a pandemic, and we have to make sure everyone's safe. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is Gloria Brown Marshall on WBAI, out and about in front of Seward Park on the Lower East Side. And as you heard, uh, the schools are opening incrementally. The New York Times today um, in their uh, article written by Eliza Shapiro states that New York City is the largest school district in the country and took the biggest step of any major city toward restarting in-person classes by bringing up to 90,000 of the city's youngest students and children with advanced disabilities back into about 700 school buildings on Monday. There are about 1,400 schools that are still left open. There are 1.1 million children in our school district. And at this time, globally, there are over 31 million cases of coronavirus around the world. There have been over 965,000 deaths worldwide. In the United States, there are over 6 million cases, nearly 7 million cases, and 200,000 deaths. This is where we are. Schools are opening. I want to know what you think. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. We're going to have a guest um, before we...
take those calls. That will be in the second part of the show where I want to hear from you at 212-209-2877. But we want to talk about in the midst of all this, as I said before, with the Spanish flu, we voted. And so when we return from this musical break, we're going to talk about how we stay active in our democracy, how you don't sit back and act like there's nothing you can do. You'll only get depressed. You'll only get sad and frustrated and turn all that inward. There are things we can do. And we're going to have a guest coming back to tell us what we can do around our voting rights to keep our democracy alive and to fight back. And it's in the fighting back, in the resistance that we find our life and our calling. We'll be right back after this musical break with Jared Berg to tell us more. Everybody over there, get on up. Everybody right there, get into it. Everybody right there, get involved. Everybody just... Get involved. Get involved. That is James Brown. I think he told you directly what I have been saying indirectly in much clearer terms. He's given it to you. Get involved. Get up. Do something. 
to keep this democracy going. And Jared Berg is going to be with us right now to tell us how we can be involved. Jared Berg is a New York attorney, and you've heard him on this show many, many times when we discuss voting rights in the state. And his new organization, Vote Early New York, is here to ensure voter access and reform policies that he's helped design and fight for. Welcome and good morning, Jared. Good morning, Gloria. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. So tell us, what do we need to be doing? Let's keep this activism going. I can feel the blood pushing through the veins of our listeners. They're sitting on the edge of their seats wanting to know what can they do. Well, it's great to be with you again, and this is the perfect time to have this conversation. So the first thing I'm sure you've been talking about, but today's National Voter Registration Day, uh, this is the perfect time we're encouraging folks to to do what I call civic hygiene, right? Check your registration status. Make sure it's active. Make sure the information's right. Do the same for your loved one. Uh, if your listeners haven't gotten that message already, or even if they have this morning, we can't say that enough. Uh, early action is the key to protecting voting rights this election, and knowing your options uh, is a major part of that, making a plan to vote. And what should we know about what's going on with voters and New York City? I know in New York State in particular, I would say there have been some changes. The last time I voted, they had different machines. Um, People are thinking this is going to be a disaster. What is the reality of our voting situation? So this is in our hands. Uh, The last time you and I spoke, Gloria, uh, it might have actually been right at the beginning of this this pandemic. And I said something to the effect of in a state of emergency, we know that civil rights can be squeezed. And at that time, we were concerned with making sure that voter access uh, would keep up, would keep pace with the emergency and the twists and turns. Now, it's been uh, a really rough time for New Yorkers and the country as a whole. uh, But I am proud to say that it's almost almost an irony. It's, it's, we know we have these new headwinds, additional headwinds to voter access uh, with, the, with the health crisis and all. Uh, but I will say that voter access in New York has never been more convenient than it is right now. New Yorkers have three ways to vote. Uh, that's never happened before. We've never been able to, to engage folks at this stage and mobilize people uh, this early in the process. And so we are telling people, make a plan to vote, but don't delay. Uh, There is a everybody in New York may now vote by mail. Everybody in New York uh, for this election uh, and everyone in New York may vote early. We have nine days of early voting. If you haven't voted since uh, 2018, this is a different uh, set of options than you've ever had before. But the most important thing is that people know about those options. Uh, And if you're planning not to vote in person, if you want to vote by mail, if that's the best option for you, Uh, We were telling folks to go online, which is a brand new thing you can do, and request your ballot or pick up the phone, request your ballot from the Board of Elections. Uh, And now in New York City, you can track your ballot from that moment you make the request uh, to the entire process, including the mail, uh, and back to the Board of Elections. So uh, we are playing catch-up in New York. But, Gloria, I can tell you voting in New York has never been more accessible or convenient than it is right now. But early action is the key. Okay, so we need some dates. How early? When can we start voting early? What do you have a date for that? And if we're having mail in ballots, who gets the ballot? When does this ba- does the ballot come to the our homes and how does that work? So the rules in each state are different and that is the key uh question that you're asking right there. 
Um, I do have all the dates here. The first major date folks should be aware of is the October 9 registration date uh, deadline. That's just because it happens soonest in the process. You can go online or pick up the phone right now and request your mail ballot. The deadline for that is October 27th, but we don't want people waiting into deep October to start thinking about this stuff. That is when mail delays and other sort of issues can crop up. Uh, That's when people can get stuck. So the concern here uh, is that people wait too long. And my personal concern, looking at the debate calendar uh, and some of these other main events, right, October 15th is the second debate. October 22nd is the third presidential debate. Both of those events, Gloria, are after the voter registration deadline. So for folks who tune in late, that is the the real risk that people uh, miss these early deadlines and don't get their registration in order uh, now. You can fix any registration issue right now. If you've moved recently, you've gotten married, changed your name, any sort of thing like that, uh, you, can, you can cure and deal with all of those right now. It gets harder uh, to do so. And eventually, uh, if you're not registered to vote by that deadline, it is unforgiving. Okay, wait a minute. Let, let, let me get it clear. I'm not 26 anymore. So on October 9th, that's when we can begin to vote? Uh, no, you can you can request your mail ballot right now. And ballots are starting to be mailed out for people who requested them last week and the week before. So for the first time in New York, people will be voting. People will be voting perhaps as soon as next week, as soon as their mail ballots arrive, maybe even this week, depending on the county so, and how quick they get them out. Uh, so my question then, uh, wait, wait a minute, Jerry. Yeah. My question is, I want to go to these dates. My question is that if we're requesting a mail ballot, from whom are we requesting this ballot? The ballots are requested from your local board of elections. Uh, we, we at Vote Early New York have put together all the information a person would need to learn about their three ways to vote. And the real place to start is to learn about these options. Uh, and because we have, uh, with all this change, we have, uh, as advocates, uh, and, and community leaders like yourself, we have we have uh, an education challenge ahead of us, right? If a tree falls in the forest, so folks like you and I can fight for voting rights, but if people don't know about them, then uh, they, then they're living under a, a misunderstanding of what the options are. So what we're trying to do over the next few weeks is tell people about these options, and for people who choose to vote by mail, uh, for people who can't wear a mask or just prefer to be uh, out of public, or if you're in that high risk category or you're outside the jurisdiction, you have a right to vote by mail. You can go on the Board of Elections of the City of New York website right now. You can click request online. Uh, You can click request the ballot, request your ballot online. It takes like two minutes to fill out this form. Or if you're not as comfortable with using the Internet and technology, smartphones, you can pick up a landline or any other phone. You can call the Board of Elections. They'll take your request over the phone, and they will mail you a ballot. Okay, and when you get this ballot, for those, and there have been some questions like, well, if you can stand in line at the grocery store, you can stand in line to vote. But we also know that I've gotten, you know, two different times I've gotten parking tickets trying to stand in line um, when they've been an hour or so processing. This is a new um, system that we have that I witnessed. It seems a little cumbersome to me, maybe because it's just being rolled out now. So they could vote early. They could vote on the election day itself, or they can 
what was the third one? I'm trying this online. You said mail early and online. <laughs> Tell me more about this online. Well, yeah, no. So the third option is to vote by mail, but you can do your request online. So New Yorkers okay. are not automatically mailed the ballot. Uh, what we were able to do this year uh, was fight for the right uh, for a New Yorker to claim that due to COVID-19, uh, they would rather not appear in person and they'd like to vote remotely. And so this is one of the three new options, uh, one of the three options. Uh, you mentioned voting on Election Day. That's always been there. But what we're trying to do, both because of the pandemic, and you know I was doing this work before COVID-19, uh, we always thought yes. it was better policy to space out voting and not tell millions of people you have one day of vote. So uh, as you mentioned, the grocery store, for people who can wear masks, people who have adapted their lives to COVID-19, if you're able to go once a week, twice a week, once every two weeks to a grocery store, we're actually encouraging people, if you can wear a mask, consider finding a quiet time over the nine days of early voting, which run from Saturday, October 24th to Sunday, November 1st, uh, and includes two nights uh, that, that run till 8 p.m. Uh, during the week. It's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on the weekend. That's a, a much greater period where you can go vote in person. We don't suspect there will be lines. Uh, and everybody in New York City is assigned to one early voting site. Outside the city, uh, people might have more than one. Uh, they can use. Let's let's go through that again because that was a lot of necessary information. October twenty fourth, we begin early voting. That's right. It's a Saturday, October twenty fourth. Uh, we hope it'll be a beautiful Saturday. It's actually the name of a new holiday. I know you'll appreciate called Vote Early Day. This is a national thing. I promise you, I didn't cook it up, but it happens to be the first day of New York early voting, uh, and we are pushing people. Yes, you have an option to vote by mail. That might be the best option for some. Uh, but if you want to vote uh, in person on a scanner and you can wear a mask, we think that that helps you avoid a whole bunch of logistical issues that just aren't there when you vote in person. Uh, okay, like let's, just, let's go office. back to these. Let's go back to the dates. I'm going to hammer you on the dates. People are it. writing this down. October 24th is when we begin early voting. When does early voting end? It ends Sunday, November 1st, which is the Sunday before Election Day. So you get okay. two full weekends there to vote early, plus the five days in between. And the time for early voting during the day is? So this varies by uh, locality, but in New York City, uh, on both those weekends, the Saturday 24th and the 25th, and then the following weekend, October 31st and November 1st, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can find all this info at VoteEarlyNY.org or on the Board of Elections website. Uh, and the two days during the week I was pointing out uh, just happened. The, the hours run to 8 p.m., so that gives folks evening opportunities, too. But on uh, there's early voting all those nine days, but I was just pointing out that on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, October 27th and 28th, you can vote from noon to 8 p.m. So there's evening options. During those other days, of the early voting sites will be open at 7 a.m. Uh, so they, they really tried to put together a program that gives people uh, convenient hours to vote. There's 64 okay. more hours to vote for, uh, in person than we've ever had before uh, in a presidential election. OK, All that's of good. That. let's go back. Let us go. Let's sure. go back to the dates. October 24th to November 2nd. Those are uh, the November 1st. Sunday, Until November, November 1st. 1st. 
Sunday, November yep. 1st, October 24th, because I am writing this down and there's too many numbers here for me. So I know <laughs> other people who are listening need this information. They are sending kids to school. They are trying to juggle their jobs. They're doing so many things and trying to stay alive. They need the core numbers. October 24th to November 1st. That is the time period for early voting. And when they actually receive information in the mail, that will tell them where they can go for early voting or they need to, as you pointed out, go to your website and find out more as well as the um, local board of elections. What is your website for your organization? So our website is voteearlyny.org. Um, and so what we did, we put together a, a nonpartisan, nonprofit uh, website that's focused on informing people about their voting options, getting people uh, where they need to be, uh, and that clear information up front in one place uh, for the whole state. Uh, but VoteEarlyNY.org. VoteEarlyNY.org is what we're looking at right now. VoteEarlyNY.org is the website. We have 30 seconds. I, I, I will have you come back. Of course, Jared, you've been on many times and so informative. But right now we're winding down our 30 seconds. Um, tell us, VoteEarlyNY.org, um, what are the some of the obstacles you see with all of this that we have? What do you think the main obstacle is? I'm looking at um, people who are becoming apathetic or overwhelmed. What obstacles do you see at this point? I'm truly concerned that the people we need to reach don't hear this message until uh, we get into late October. And when we get into late October, these options start to melt away, right? Can't cure registration once you pass that deadline. And the early voting period is great for people who know about it and choose to use it. After the early voting period ends, after you can't vote by mail anymore, you're left with that Election Day option. So our biggest obstacle as people who care is making sure people know their options and make the choice that's best to them. But the key to not getting stuck this year is early action. People can act right now to protect their rights. That's our message. And what's the deadline for registration? That registration deadline in New York is October 9th. So people should check their registration today. I'm happy to send you a, a one-pager that has all these dates uh, to, to help folks along the way. Uh, but this is a time to help your loved ones. If you're listening to, to Gloria Brown Marshall on Law of the Land, after this program, check your registration. Make sure it's in order. Do the same for your friends and family. And we can do that on vote.org. I know I did. I use vote.org. And that Perfect. was very and it's a national um, website. You can check um, for your relatives, for yourself, uh, for vote.org to see if you're registered. Thank you so much, Jared. And you will be back, I'm sure, several times before the election because there's so much to discuss. But right now, I'm glad that you have armed them with the information they need to go forward to begin this process to fight and not sit back and feel like they're being rolled over by events. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thrilled to be with you. Thanks for all you do. 
and this is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. I still want to get a couple of calls in, especially those people who are thinking about these um, issues like voting rights in a pandemic, um, how their kids are going to be going to school in this pandemic, and a lot of the critical issues with the U.S. Supreme Court. We don't have as much time as I wanted, but we do have some time for you to call in 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877. And we'll take a few calls, but we have to do this very quick musical break. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall on WBAI, WBAI WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. Become my buddy. I am really working hard for you. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I am um, because I care. I care about you. I care about informing and empowering, inspiring and helping you understand the law and the different human parts of the law. It's not just some brick building somewhere. The law is all around us. And that is important for for you to understand. And I hope these programs on BAI and especially Law of the Land is is it. I hope they're helping you. I hope this is part of your regular routine to learn more about what is going on in your world. We'll be right back. And I hope to hear from some of you on our open line. Collins in the air. There is a feeling in the air of empowerment. And we have opened the lines to one, two, two, oh, nine, two, eight, seven, seven. And we have our first call. Good morning. You're on law of the land. Good morning. You're on law of the land. Hello. Yes, you're on. Hi, this is, um, I'm calling in reference to, uh, did he give a, um, a board of election number? He did not give the board of election number. And um, I, yes, but he did say board of elections. If you have the laptop or um, access on your phone, you can put in a search term board of elections and and find that number. He did give his email address and our our website, voteearlyny.org. Voteearlyny.org. 
org. Thank you for, for oh. raising that. I'm going to get that number because not everybody uses the internet like that, and it's you know people that, use that's the phone. True. And, and, and I'm one of them. Yes, and that's why I was yeah. saying I want I want the numbers. <laughs> I understand completely. I tell people I am not 26 anymore. I <laughs> I'm back in the day when I actually like to see people, but that's another story. <laughs> but <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> But I but I hope and I'll try to find that number for you as well. But thank you for that question. Did you have any other things that you needed? I just wanted to say your program is so informative, uh, Gloria. It really is. Do you have a website that you can be followed on? Well, I am. Or, well, at this point, because of the pandemic, you know, it's very difficult. But um, basically, brown-marshall.com is is my uh, website brown with an e hyphen marshall.com and um, but thank you so much i i appreciate it well i, I try and, and if you can vote.org is something is that to me i use vote.org as well because you can check your relatives so your relatives may say oh i'm registered you can actually put their name in and find out if they're actually relative <laughs> registered and so you oh, can okay. if they're not you can help register them on vote.org vote.org okay Gloria, and that's again, anywhere in the country oh thank you great programming that you have god bless you thank you so much sister this is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. We are doing an open line. I know I'm rushing. I hate doing that, but I want to make sure that I get listener calls and um, and we're also able to do a full content-driven program. And 212-209-2877 is the number. And we have another caller, another caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, good morning, Gloria. Good morning. I can barely hear you, but good morning. Welcome to Law of the Land. Thank you. I have a question in regards to um, ballot questions. Our community is impacted greatly by these questions, um, but I find little resources where we can be educated on the topics that are being addressed and asked. And topics such as? Um, I believe there's a, there were ballot questions in regards to vaccination and also um, charter schools, something of that nature, but... Um, there's not enough resources in our community to um, educate us on those issues. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Jared to come back, and then we can have an open call line, and you could ask him those questions. Would that be fair? That would be wonderful. Thank you. Then that's what I will do. I will ask if he's available next week to come back and we will have a program that's just focused on those voting rights issues and what are some of the referendums and other questions that will be on the ballot this this time um, in New York State. Thank you for raising that. Thank you so much for answering. Thank you. Yes. And where else but on WBAI do we respond to your concerns? That's why the station is so unique and, and must continue. And that requires your support. And if you would, please become a BAI buddy for Law of the Land. I mean, you can support the other shows, but I'm the one over here working hard, trying to make sure your issues are addressed. And Law of the Land is there for you. Um, we have uh, another caller on the line, on this open line, and 
let's see. Um, will we open that call? Okay, you're on the line. This is Law of the Land with Gloria Brown Marshall. Yes, good morning, Gloria. Hi. Hi, good morning. Uh, just first of all, thanks for the, um, the service that you do uh, for us, BAI, and other listeners. Uh, it's very much appreciated. You know, I, I'm calling with this uh, inquiry as uh, you are a lawyer and may, in fact, have uh, an answer or at least a, a way to get an answer. Now, I live in a voting district in Brooklyn where, indeed, early voting is possible. However, since the last election cycle, the address of the early voting polling place has been incorrect. Uh, the specific uh, details of this are that the, the actual address listed in all of the official uh, documentation is actually around the corner from where the uh, entrance to the polling place is. Now, how does one go about notifying the appropriate authorities to make this correction? I think it would be the local board of elections. And so I would go online and find your local board of elections. For example, if you're in Manhattan, the local board of elections um, would be different, I believe, than the local board of elections you may have in Brooklyn. But I'm not sure. So I would make sure I would look to see your local board of elections based on your zip code and contact them immediately and make sure they're aware of this. I see. Okay. Um, I I uh, thought about calling the local elected officials. I don't know if that would be uh, as well, I think, or more effective, but you think, think the board of elections would be – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just think you could do that in addition to the local board of elections. But those um, elected officials are not the ones who are responsible. So there has to be a neutral party responsible for the uh, process of our vote. Uh, that you can think about the corruption that would take place if a politician was responsible for our voting mm. process. Yes. And so I that's got, why I we have you. a local board of elections responsible for that. Okay. So the board of elections is the place to call, the local board of elections. Yes. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you, sir. And once again, you're on Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. We're discussing all number of issues that are important um, for, to you on the ground to make sure that we are fighting to maintain our democracy. And we have another caller. At, you're on Law of the Land. Good morning. Um, good morning. Am I on? Yes, you are. Oh, hi. Good morning, and thank you for your show. Uh, one of my concerns, there's so many going on today, but a big one are the, is the children, and no one's talking about how the children are being harmed and traumatized. Now, if anyone remembers being a child, are you really going to tell children they can't touch their friends and they have to wear a mask? Do we really think that's keeping them emotionally safe because it is not do we think it's keeping them physically safe it is not either so i am in the why, why do you say why do you say wearing a mask is not keeping them physically safe all right so what myself and a colleague did is we got we ordered the carbon dioxide meters and so we tested about seven different types of masks we tested of course the medical masks 
we tested cloth masks. We tested the flimsy blue masks that many people wear. Uh, people should also be aware, and you can go on the FDA website. On the FDA website, they have lists, database of chemicals and gases, and they list their safe levels and their toxic levels. So if you look at carbon dioxide, toxic levels to breathe in carbon dioxide is 5,000 parts per million. But, but ma'am, ma'am, please, you were talking about the schools. You were saying the school children. You've raised a very serious issue. I'm, I want to get to the school children. So I am talking about the school children. So we tested the mask that they want school children to wear. And in three and a half minutes, three and a half minutes, the meter, the carbon dioxide meter, was beeping. It was over 5,000 parts per million. So you're going to be asking students to wear a mask at a lethal dose of carbon dioxide for six hours? Really? This is going to be a huge disaster. Some colleagues of mine who are medical doctors in hospitals are beginning to see people coming in with scarring of the lungs, which is one of the side effects. You can look that up on the FDA website. Side effects of breathing in toxic levels of carbon dioxide or scarring of the lungs that obviously lead to COPD. Well, let's, 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 okay, before we go there, and I'm going to have to end now because we, we have another caller, but I think you've raised a good point. If people are going to be breathing in carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide because they're wearing this mask, for hours at a time, there could be health implications, and especially in growing children. So I'm going to actually ask some of the medical personnel who have been on the show before about this very important question. Thank you so much for raising it. Uh, we're on Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. There have been so many major issues raised. I think that's an important one. I hadn't thought about the fact that if we're breathing in our own carbon monoxide over a number of hours, how is that going to affect us health-wise? I know I'm walking with a mask on, and if I'm talking on the phone, I get out of wind and I have asthma, and so I become breathless um, when that's happening. So if people are wearing a mask all day long, how is that going to affect their health? Uh, it's a very important issue and one of major concern. We have time for one more call, and um, we have uh, a caller on the line right now. And um, this is WBAI Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Good morning. Hello, Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Linda McDonald Carter, Essex County College. How are you today? I'm doing well, my sister. What is going on? Well, um, you know, I've been in class, but I wanted to make sure I made this contribution. I think that everyone is right in admiring um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I wanted to just add that there's a case that no one really talks about um, that she wrote in 2005 regarding the, the doctrine referred to in the footnote of a majority opinion writing for the city of Sherrell, New York, versus Oneida Indians. And basically Justice Ginsburg wrote, the opinion on behalf of the court that under the doctrine of discovery, fee title ownership to lands occupied by Indians when the colonists arrived became vested in the sovereign first, the discovering European nations, and later the original states and the United States. And what that case basically did is say for indigenous people who don't have language 
that talks about possession or ownership. But um, the concept from Justice Ginsburg and what the courts have been doing for hundreds of years, or at least 100 years, is to suggest that indigenous people in this country only have tenants' rights at best. Even if they had a concept of ownership, which they don't, um, they're basically saying, although you've been here, all the rights to title of the land, and this was called Turtle Island by indigenous people, belong to the colonizers. And I think that that's a case that people should, you know, look at. Because um, I guess in a way, looking at Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her background, it's not, it's not, it really is a liberal solution, uh, a way to look at, you know, the indigenous people in this country. So I just wanted to share that for your audience. Thank you so much. And much has been said about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a Brooklynite who passed away at age 87 after battling cancer. Um, some people have said that she didn't go far enough when it came to civil rights. She was that pivotal extra vote on affirmative action, on voting rights, and so many other um, cases involving civil rights. Her major focus was women's rights, and we understand that. Now, if, when we're critical of her, she is not in the same category as a Sandra Day O'Connor, who only focused on women's rights and was very conservative in all other areas. So thank you so much. As we end our show today, um, I think that I've been able to put a lot in, and you've been able to take in a lot. My listeners are the smartest listeners, I believe, bar none. We will have Jared Berg back to talk more about these issues. If there is an issue of concern regarding where you should vote and other issues regarding the vote, call 311 to get that information. Look for your local board of elections online if you're able to access um, information using your phone or laptop online. Um, look for their website, Vote Early NY voteearlyny.org to get more information about early voting and to find out if you're registered, vote.org, vote.org. I have a new book out. Yay. Finally, She Took Justice. She Took Justice is a book I've been working on for 10 years. It is finally available on the websites. You know those websites that are available for buying book. You can pre-order my book. It is only a very low price and then 30% off if you go to the publisher's website. I am so excited. She Took Justice. She Took Justice, The Black Woman, Law, and Power, 1619 to 1969. Yes, I go all the way back to when we, as black women, first brought cases. African arrival in 1619, black women look around. Oh, we have a problem here. They start bringing lawsuits in 1654. But I begin even before that. I begin with Queen Nzinga. We start with Queen Nzinga and go up to Shirley Chisholm. My book, She Took Justice, I hope you will give it a read. I've worked very hard to give you information about black women and their fight for full equal rights in this country. And it's an ongoing fight. And this is part one. Part two will be 1970 to the present. But it took me 10 years for part one. Part two, we'll see. But part one is She Took Justice. I hope you'll be able to get a copy. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. I miss you already, but you know, I'll see you. And thank you, Michael G. Blind, how you know how I feel. On the radio.